0: guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for god to lie we who have fled from refuge might have strong strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the Soul, a hope that enters into the eternal place behind the curtain, where Jesus have gone has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Shall we pray, Uh, dear Lord God? We want to thank you, Lord, for this time of worship that we had. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us of your love. We thank you, Lord, that you chose to love us and not we you, O Lord. Lord, we Lord, we marvel, a Lord, at. At, at how glorious and merciful you are towards us. Lord, we uh, we pray a lot for the offering that has been collected. We, we, uh, we give to you, o Lord, what you have given to us. Lord, we... Uh we pray, Lord, that it might be used for the, uh, for the extension of your kingdom. Lord, we also want to pray the time ahead as we listen to your word, O Lord, brought, brought to us by your child, O Lord. We pray, Lord, that you might give him the strength and the courage to speak, O Lord, as your spirit directs. Lord, we pray, uh, pray for us also, Lord, as listeners, that we might not just be listeners, but be doers of the word, O Lord. We pray, Lord, that you imprint your word in our hearts. We ask all this in and through the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. It's quite a long passage, and there's a lot of meat in it. So we have to do kind of an overview, not go much into detail. Um, you know, if we do some of it and come back, by the time we go to it again, we'll forget. So let's try to make the best use of this time. I want to title today's sermon... By the words of a song, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. The songwriter has taken it um, from the last two verses that we heard, uh, verses 19 and 20. And um, we'll try to understand the concept here. We've been going through Hebrews. Last time, when I preached from Hebrews, we talked about The mega high priest. I use the word mega high priest. I hope some of you at least remember. You see, anyone that remembers that? Yes. Because the word great high priest doesn't really communicate much. The word great has become so commonplace. Great, okay? But the mega high priest, we still talk of mega events and stuff also by you are very much familiar with the units of measurement one watt versus one megawatt i talked about a motor that can be held in your hand versus a megawatt motor where its drive systems everything together is a big hall and you feel insignificant inside that so a high priest versus a mega high priest so that is what Christ is. In the Old Testament, there was a high priest, but Christ is the mega high priest. Now, if you take chapter 5, verse 1, and go till 1039, we could treat it almost as a small book within Hebrews. Chapter 5 to chapter 10. So, if you take that book again, chapter 5 and 6 form the introductory And chapter 10, 19 to 39, would be the concluding portion, the introduction and the conclusion. So, we are in the introduction of that book on the high priest, the great high priest. The theme of that central section would be the mega high priest. So, we are in the introductory section of that. And the introductory section, again, you know, Hebrews is a good way to go through. There is exposition, then there is exhortation, exposition, exhortation. It's so all intermingled very much. So in this uh, introductory portion, we have 1 to 11. Chapter 5, 1 to 11 is an exposition. And then, uh, 11, chapter 5, 11 to... Um, uh, chapter six twelve is another exhortation. Then from there, you have another exposition again. So we are going this, through this exhortation and exposition passages. You now, before we... Suppose we are all sitting and very sleepy after the worship. Somebody comes here and says, Good morning, CBF. And then you respond, Good morning. It's a wake-up call, once or twice, right? And Nathan is very talented at doing that before the announcement, right? Till we all, or maybe Jobin, <laughs> till they wake us up. So before the topic is introduced, the author actually wakes them up. So that's this um, whole passage. So he hits them directly initially. So before we go into that I just want to um, put the message of today's portion Okay 5:11 to 14 says you have been lazy you have been sluggish you have been lazy So 6, one to 3 to buck up be carried on to perfection be carried on to maturity you've been lazy go into maturity then um, verses four to eight do not regress so he says progress now he says do not regress you have been lazy make progress do not regress then verses nine to twelve actually you have the word beloved that is used only once in this text uh, in this book and and it comes here so With a lot of love, encourages at that point and says, Be diligent till the end, like you were at the beginning. Okay. And then says, In faith, persevere till you inherit the promises. The promise comes with an oath. Okay, so first of all, you've been lazy. Kevin is laughing, right? You've been lazy. So now, back up. Be carried on to perfection. Do not regress. Be diligent till the end, just as you were at the beginning. In faith, persevere till you inherit the promises which come with an oath. And finally, be confident Your anchor holds within the veil. Now this is a beautiful passage of the security of salvation that our hope is right there up in heaven and nothing is going to move us. Unfortunately, there's a small section that people do not understand, verses 4 to 8, and uh, students of scripture argue over it and then that has become the focal point of discussion, taking it away from the confidence in the security of salvation to, oh, can we ever be confident that we can be, we will be saved? Will our salvation be lost? Um, I don't want to focus on that much, but um, since it's a point where uh, we all have confusion, we will try to give an overview if time permits. <coughs> okay. So, verses um, 11 to 14, chapter 5, 11 to 14. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe but solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil First of all we note that this is addressed to believers and is mostly in second person you 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 right and says, You have become lazy, sluggish, sluggish. And what does this mean? If you look at um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Weary and discouraged in their souls. And then let's look at verses 12 and 13 again in chapter 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down on the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. So, that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So, what is the condition of these believers? They are lazy, they are sluggish. It also means that they are weary, they are faint hearted, their hands are drooping, their knees are weak, they are lame, not yet out of joint. Does this describe any of us? If so, this warning is probably for us. Now, what, is the, what are the marks of this sluggish believer, or, um, the, the lazy believer? First of all, dullness toward the word. That's what you find here, right? You are dull of hearing. Dullness toward the word. Quiet time. It's dull. I'm not able to get anything out of it. I've read so many times. How do you get anything out of that? Dull. Sermon. The same old stuff. I remember a couple of years back, we met with two people. One guy who's been in the church for many years. And then he comes and says, Oh, there is nothing that is being served in at the sermon. He was very critical of the leadership and the church and all that. The next week or couple of weeks after we met with a girl who was here maybe for a few months. She says, Oh, the church is excellent. Yes, what is good? The sermons, I think every sermon is meant just for me and I profit. Same sermons, two different people. Dullness. Dullness is the problem. Okay. Sunday school can be dull, cell groups can be dull. Talk about anything, anything spiritual in the world can be dull. That dullness shows that you're lazy. Then, though you ought to become teachers, now the gift of teaching is not for everybody, but everyone has the gift to share, to share, to share their thoughts, to share their quiet time, things like that. If you don't have, you are not able to share. If you don't have anything to share, it again means you're lazy. Some girls are smiling and laughing, and I really appreciate it. (laughs) It really communicates, right? And a reminder of something that happened quite um, recently somewhere where um, people immediately started sharing when they were encouraged. It means the state of their hearts that it was quickened. And I praise God when such things do happen. Let's make sure that we are always giving out, not holding to ourselves, becoming dull. Secondly, they're intolerant towards solid food. Anything that is a little challenging, Maybe theologically, intellectually, maybe in practical terms. There is some complaint or sometimes it is um, voiced out. They just switch off and they just act it out. So intolerance towards solid food, They they can digest only milk. They cannot digest any further. Then verse 14 says, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay. <coughs> there are um, different learning styles. Okay. There might be, some of you go and listen to John Piper. Some of you go and listen to John MacArthur. Some of you go and listen to Paul Washer. These are some of the internet guys out there, all of them have a the good and bad, theologically as well. Okay. Um, maybe the best communicator for you might be John Piper. That doesn't mean that everything that he says is right. Or the guy for you might, might be John McArthur. Okay, whatever. Finally, the guy who is sluggish would go and listen to something like this where his um, faculties are a little bit tickled and he can plug in, but he doesn't go and get anything for himself and he's not able to discern when that person speaks something wrong. Don't gut down everything, guys. There will be things that are wrong. There will be things that are good as well There are things that are wrong. So if... even when I speak or someone else speaks here, go back, be a Berean, go and search the word. Things have been spoken wrong here as well, which we have noticed also. So if you find something like that, please go and speak to the speaker or come to us. We can discuss. Hearing and discerning. So these are the marks of the um, dull believer, incompetent to discern, Intolerant towards solid food, inability to share, and dullness toward the word. Okay, so that's the first section. Okay, do not be lazy. Then next is back up. Okay, go on to perfection. Six one to three. Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again. The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, <coughs> of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The whole point here is go on to perfection. Go on to perfection. Let's not linger here. It's enough. Let's not linger here. Let's go on to perfection. Perfection. Now, what are the things there? Now, that's a big debate on what those things are. I don't want to go there as well today. Um, What are the elementary principles of Christ? Some say it is about Christianity itself. Some say it is the principles uh, in uh, Judaism from which Christianity is built up. doesn't matter. We don't want to go and uh, we could be either. But mainly, if you look at um, two other things initially would be Baptisms and uh, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Both are something toward God. Then you find baptism and laying on of hands. done in community probably. Then about future things of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So these are presented as elementary principles. Okay. And what is the meat? What exactly is it? Look at Paul and remember the camps? One thing I do? Right? And what is that one thing to which? To know Christ. To know him fully. And here, the writer is actually challenging them and inviting them to know Christ in his present ministry as a high priest in heaven. So those who are lazy those who are sluggish those who are not getting anything out of the word please wake up move forward and now we come okay one more thing before i move from here let us go on to perfection probably it should be translated better as let us be carried on to perfection so it is allowing yourself To be carried on to perfection. And the word perfection here actually means maturity. It doesn't mean that (coughs) we are going to be perfect in our character in every way. Let's go on to maturity. Okay. Now, verses um, 4 to 8, the big important discussions which have... Uh, actually, taken up a lot of my time as a young Christian, and I came from another background, so I always oscillated from here to there to there to here. Everything seems um, right when someone presents it, you know. Um, and this will happen to you unless you understand. So we'll read this portion a little bit carefully now 6 4 to 8. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which brings in the grain that often falls upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burnt. I don't want to ask, your, ask each of you your position now. That's not my um, uh, thing here. So, verses 4 to 6... Verses 4 to 6. You can just look through that. It actually states the worst imaginable state to which a person might regress. I am choosing my words carefully here. The worst imaginable state to which a person might regress. And Look at verse 7. It is an illustration of a Progressive field. And look at verse 8. It is the illustration of a regressive field. Okay? So verses 4 and 6 is the worst imaginable state to which a person might regress. Verse 7 is the illustration of a progressive field. Verse 8, uh, illustration of a regressive field. So, verses 4 and 6, I said the worst imaginable state. And what is that? The worst imaginable state of regression, as mentioned here, is one in which a person can never again be renewed to repentance. There is a worst imaginable state of a person in regression. Now, question. First question. Is this just a hypothetical case is it for real or is it for is it a hypothetical case uh, as an illustration if i say a man is standard in growth and regresses and becomes so tiny that he goes back in his mummy's tummy he can never again be born again suppose i make a statement like that Okay? Um, Man is stunted in growth and he becomes, um, he regresses so much that he's so tiny and he goes back in his tummy, in this mom's tummy, he will never again be born again. Be born. Now, if I say that, is it a real, is is it a case for real? No, it's a hypothetical case. So, some people say it's a hypothetical case. It could be a hypothetical case. So the possibilities are yes or no, right? So if that be the case, it doesn't mean that your salvation is going to be lost. It's a hypothetical case. It's not about anybody losing its salvation. Simple to explain. Now let's say this is not a hypothetical case. It's a case for real Okay. Oh, how do we handle that? So, actually, I wanted to put a flow chart so you would have visualized it. Then again, I thought you will leave that with your mental picture, and I don't want that. I want the anchor within the whale as a mental picture. Okay. Anyway, if this is a real case, then. Um, The question is, what was the original state of this person? Was the person already saved by grace through faith? Okay? This person who can never again be renewed to repentance, was this person already saved by grace through faith? Okay. And... If the answer is yes, what does that mean? Salvation is lost and he cannot be saved again. Now many people would um, come and argue that salvation will be lost, but they will also immediately say, no, he can be restored to salvation. But this, if you follow this verse, it is impossible for such a person to be restored to repentance. So if it is talking about loss of salvation, understand that it is also talking that such a person cannot be saved again. Okay. I'm not taking position, I'm just presenting the argument of a section of people. Now, if we answer it by a no, that is, the original state of the person, we talk about the original state of the person, we say, no, the person was not saved by grace through faith. I just want to put it there. Many a time we just say saved, saved, and then we forget the other picture there, you know. It was by grace, not by our work, that we were saved. And because we, um, we are doing good, we are in faith. That's an impression that we have. And when we sin, we have gone. No. The, the original person, if you are saved by grace through faith, that's the question there. Okay. If the answer is no, the person wasn't saved by grace through faith, then not much problem with the uh, big uh, issue that is being made there. Salvation is not lost so it's a gr- then people there's a bit of trick um, people play on this. They'll argue that it is a group of people who are so close to salvation but didn't make it. Personally, I've never been able to get into that category, but I guess many of your um, uh, fathers and forefathers might fall into that category as well, not all uh, but uh, the word, the taste of the heavenly gift, enlightened, they will interpret it differently. But when you take it in the context of the scripture, and in here itself in chapter 2, self talks about Jesus tasting death. Uh, and here it's about, uh, how do you explain the difference in the uh, usage that is being presented would be a question. But... Um, that again is doesn't you are going to defend your position, correct? Um, I'm not taking I'm not advocating any position here. I'm just helping you to understand what exactly this is. Now, case three, <coughs> were they really saved? No, but they appear to be or they identified themselves to be saved. Uh, You can come across many people like that. One of the most famous preachers who passed away a few years back is uh, Charles Templeton, who was a greater preacher than um, Billy Graham, and then ended up uh, denying faith altogether and finally in the 80s or 90s he wrote a book called uh, Farewell to God. So denying the faith completely and moving off. Okay. So there are various things that come. So um, this is what is usually referred to as apostasy. So salvation isn't lost, it is apostasy. Okay. Now <clears throat> before we go ahead I just want us to be very clear about how we approach learning of Scripture. First of all, we need to have integrity before God. We need to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't understand. It's fine we don't understand. Okay, Sometimes we might feel that this and this are right, but it doesn't match with that. It's fine to struggle with those answers. It's fine to have no answers to certain questions. We don't need to be experts in everything, right? And uh, for centuries, people have been arguing, and um, no one can actually argue and come to a conclusion there. So, have integrity, study it in the presence of the Holy Spirit, admit. When you don't understand, when you when you are not able to um, reach a conclusion, I don't understand. That's fine too. Okay. Now, second principle again: okay. any conclusion that we reach have to fit in the immediate context. Okay. and the immediate context of this is to. Point them to the high priest and to say that your salvation is secure in heaven. Your anchor holds within the veil. The other position of denying that your salvation would be lost flies in the face of what is presented there. Then secondly, whatever comes out of a passage has to agree with the whole teaching of the scripture. And there are other principles as well. I think Jobin was speaking a couple of weeks back and he laid out what is normally held among um, theologians about doctrines. It had to be taught by the Lord and practiced and taught by the apostles, right? So, does the Lord teach? that salvation would be lost will be a christian okay now you understand that salvation cannot be lost and then you're not able to explain this one here okay then you want to argue and point, prove that point to somebody else you might end up being dishonest please avoid that please be honest to yourself if you want my personal Opinion on it, come to me privately we'll talk about it okay and there are uh, there are a f- uh, few more uh, views on this the, uh, It refers to the loss of reward. Um, I think the argument is uh, built up mainly from the illustration whereas i I believe illustration is to illustrate the main point you don 't build up a main point on the illustration itself. Uh, Then there is a school which uses the word, the Greek word, uh, fall away. Uh, What is translated fall away should actually be fall by the wayside, parapipto. So that it's not complete falling away, it's falling by the wayside. There's another explanation on that. And there are a couple of other things as well. There's uh, something on the tense of the verb which says like... um, When they are crucifying, it is impossible to restore them. When they are crucifying. So it does not mean that they have crucified all those kind of things. Anyway, I'm just leaving this topic here, because I know if I don't touch upon it, uh, you would all be curious and be thinking about the position uh, that we hold to this. So, um, there are different positions on this, but We'll, um, I'll challenge each of you if you are inclined to study it on your own and then come and discuss. You can discuss it with Josh, me, or a couple of other senior people. Okay. So, I would say in conclusion, it is very safe to conclude that the warning on regression doesn't state the warning on regression doesn't state that someone saved by grace through faith loses the salvation that God once granted to that person. It's very safe to conclude it from here. okay Once saved through by grace through faith cannot be lost. and you know the grace is not from me. otherwise I, it would be lost this by? God's grace. Yeah, okay. Now, faith. We'll let it come to that also a little bit later on. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to verse 9 to 12. <coughs> <coughs> okay. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. To- <coughs> Though we speak speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay. We talked about their present. Now, here, especially in verse 10, there's a glimpse of their past. So, their past. Okay. Verse 10, it says, Your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you minister to the saints and do minister. And actually I wanted to take you quickly to chapter 10, verses 32 to 35. Chapter 10, verses 32 to 35. But recall the former days in which, after you were eliminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those of who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Now, combining things from both these places just going to look at their past. Right now they are sluggish. They are lazy. But what kind of people were they? First of all, they were serving others out of love for God and his people. By this, men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Their love showed. From chapter 10, Heart struggle with sufferings, exposed to public reproach, affliction, partners with those treated that way. What does that imply? What does that imply? They took up their cross, at least in those past days, they took up their cross daily and followed after the master. They had compassion on others. They had love for one another. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property, knowing that they had a great reward in heaven. What is that? They forsook all. Remember true discipleship? Luke 14, 26 to 33, where three terms of um, discipleship is laid out, that... The supreme love for Christ above everything and everyone and even our own lives. And second, carrying the cross daily and following the master. And third, forsaking all. These guys were true disciples in all that respect. So, verses 9 and 10 together. But, we are con- but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. We spoke about the most, the, uh, the worst imaginable state in which a, a person, to which a person can regress. But, dearly beloved, you are not those guys. You are not those guys. You are saved, guys. You are saved. Your salvation is sure. Okay? And how do I know that? Because your faith was exhibited in your works. And God is just. He sees your work, which means he has seen your faith as well. Now, what do you do? So, verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay. Again, the idea of sluggishness has come back here that you do not become sluggish, don't become lazy, go back. Go back to your former days when you were on on fire for the Lord. When um, you were ready to forsake all and carry the cross and love the Lord above everything. Go back to your joy of salvation. If you are lingering in that dullness, wake up. Move on. Move on to maturity. Move on to perfection. That is the message here. And then... um, We are running out of time. I'll be done quickly. Verses 13 onwards. Uh, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he saw by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear, by the greater, but and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. <clears throat> okay, so talks about Abraham's perseverance. And again it says, Abraham had two things. God gave him two things. What are the two things? He gave him a promise and he gave him an oath. An oath with a promise. And here we have, he who promised is faithful and he will do it. When you come to chapter 10, you read that. So this is an oft-repeated theme. Hebrews 13.7 talks about the, you watch the outcome of the lives of those who led you and imitate their faith. The end of faith, you will have it. Stick on. Endure. Okay. Um, 1 Peter 1.8 and 9. As the outcome, you will receive salvation of your souls. outcome of your faith, you will receive salvation of your souls and so on. Okay, I, I think um, you know. I love um, to know the pulse of a community, and many a time when I go through letters, I uh, know the pulse of the uh, New Testament church there. In Second Timothy chapter two, verses twelve verses, again probably um, um, uh, a song that probably they sang in the uh, New Testament times. There it is: for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If he endure, we shall. Also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If you are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So I think this was a celebrated theme there. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we die with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That, that's a focus, that's a call. Come, to end, come and endure like Abraham. He wavered in between, but he endured. The father of faith endured. He's calling us to endure. Be inheritors like Abraham. God is faithful. His promise comes with an oath. And we have this oath. And there's a city of refuge uh, image there. Don't have time to go through it. And probably most of us are familiar. But verse 19 and 20, I want to read that. And I really want to sing a song as well. This This hope we have as anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. (coughs) Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. I'm not a sailor, but I wish I were one in the... um, First century. You know, um, when you read Acts 27, you get this picture a little more. You know, when the uh, sea is stormy, they are trying to anchor the ship. You know, how they carried that? How did they carry that out? There used to be forerunner boats. The anchor of the ship would be placed in the forerunner boats, and the boats would go and deposit it. In the harbor. And once the forerunner has gone and secured the anchor, wow, there is relief. The ship is anchored. You are free from danger. Nothing can move you. Your anchor has gone through the forerunner beyond the whale into the presence of the Most High in heaven. Our deposit our guarantee that we would be there with the Lord forever. Uh, (coughs) Um, That anchor is there with Christ in beyond the veil in heaven. And that's a beautiful thought. Christ paid the price for it. But, you know... (coughs) Many of you guys must have grown up in believing homes, hearing of "us um, saved, saved, saved." And we—I grew up in a Catholic family where even the best of people always were scared whether We can never make it. All the Hindus—they, I—I um, used to hear chanting every day in the morning, in the evening, rather. Naragati the name, Shiva Shiva, Deliver me from hell, O oh Shiva, every day. And we Christians have that assurance in that boat that has gone, it has torn the veil, and gone not into the earthly temple, but from there right up into heaven, into the presence of the majesty on high. Our hope is secure. In heaven, shall we all rise up? Can you play that? I think it is in 73, uh, song number 73. My, uh, I think, uh, what's that? My cornerstone. First stone cornerstone. And we all rise up and thank the Lord as we sing this. just want to thank you. Thank you for the great hope that we have. Thank you that our anchor holds within the veil. Thank you that by the blood of your son and our Lord Jesus Christ, you have accomplished this great feat for us. Help us never to doubt our salvation if we are already in it. And help us never to question another once. Often, we look at our deeds, our lives, and we look at the works of others and help us to recognize what exactly is at stake. Did they really put their faith in you? Did I really put my faith in you? Or is it a state of dullness from which we need to rise up? Lord, we want to thank you for all those here who have made that hope their own by your grace. Through faith, even that faith was granted by you thank you, Father. And we pray for those of us who are here now and who have not appropriated it, that you would give them grace to understand the gospel and then accept it. Yes, grant them faith today in Christ's precious name. Please be seated.